Jazz and we are hey. the well-spoken tokens. Hi. This podcast tries to fix the cultural sector and make it a little bit more inclusive for everyone because sometimes, let's face it, it struggles. Today, um, I've all I've had a really big eye on this because one of the things we talk about a lot is marginalised voices and in particular people with disabilities, I think um, there is a huge struggle in getting them represented in glam spaces um, and not just physical disabilities and visible disabilities, invisible dis- disabilities as well. So today we're welcoming a guest who has recently completed their MA research into chronic pain and disability in museums. Gabriel Sec, welcome to the show. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited and so, so honored. Oh, you're cool. <laughs> Give us a so, are you gonna? So, we just wanted to ask you maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself, your history, and your background, and then we can start talking about your work that you've been doing on Chronic Pain. Oh, well, I'm not very exciting, <laughs> I do have to say. Um, well, I'm originally from the United States, I grew up in Michigan. Um, I've been uh, moving around a little, a little bit. So I recently just spent a year in Leicester, going to the University of Leicester, which I have been so privileged to go to. I've met some of the most amazing, amazing men, women, and non-binary people. Um, and that's what really inspired me to use their voices in this research. Um, in my personal life, I have three siblings, Jack, Aiden, and James. James is my best friend. He's eight years old. He was very upset this morning because it's very early for me. He's like, are we going to go play? I'm like, oh, no, buddy, I have to interview. He goes, okay, but after? <laughs> um, in my professional life, I have a bachelor's uh, in art history and visual culture with a minor in museum studies. And probably the coolest thing about me is that um, I've entered at the Smithsonian. I've lived in Greece as a guest of the Greek government, um, working on an American dig site. Um, two summers ago, I had the privilege of working at the National Army Museum. And next week, I, uh, because of COVID, I could not be physically at these placements, but uh, it's remote now. So next week, I'm working with the British Museum and the Wimbledon Lawn Tennis Museum working on their accessibility because nothing's gonna change if people don't go in and change it. So I'm really excited. You are amazing. Oh my gosh, you're amazing, stop. I also did art history and I also did an MA in museum studies. So we're basically from all the other cool stuff you've done. Yes. Oh, a lot of it, it's a lot of scholarships. When I lived in DC, I lived with my grandma. So I got a scholarship to go to London. Like it's a lot of like hustling. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of hustling. Um, I have a question, which you obviously yes. don't answer if you don't want to. Just before what you said about um, meeting all the different people in Leicester and how that led to your research, do you have any personal experience with disabilities as well that kind of led yes. to you wanting to do the research? Yes, I actually am disabled. And before we start, I would like to say that the word disabled is exclusively, as I'll talk through this podcast, is exclusively to my own illness identity, which is how I identify myself as a disabled person. Some people in the disabled community don't use the word disabled. They use um, diverse, differently abled, spoony. So there's no one correct word to talk about the disabled community. The only word that you need to know is you need to ask. So you need to ask a person who's disabled, 
how do you identify? And if they'd be like, oh, I don't identify like this, I like to say disabled. Personally, I like to say disabled, and that's throughout my research. I made a disclaimer about that being like, hey, this is how I identify. Not everybody does. Yeah. So as a disabled person, what really inspired me to go through this was in undergrad, you weren't allowed to be disabled because I had my disability accommodations denied by so many teachers despite having a note from the school that employed them. <laughs> oh, and wow. when, when I, I remember it was my math, my maths class, I went to the professor and she basically said like, do you really need all of this? I'm like, well, I wouldn't if I didn't have this paper. Um, and I went to the accessibility center, which they were so great and so kind. And they talked to the teacher, but when the accessibility center would talk to teachers, the teachers would get very not aggressive but very judgmental students because they kind of like outed them so a lot of my friends who were disabled at my university in undergrad if they were disabled and the teacher said no they just wouldn't see i mean i have taken many many a test uh on the floor outside of the classroom um and you know in michigan it easily gets to negative five like on a normal, on a normal basis. So, you know, it's in the middle of my school is huge, but it's, you know, it's just all the wind and everything like that. So I'd be freezing. I learned very quickly to bring a little pillow or like a clipboard. So it wasn't until I got to Leicester that it was okay. It was okay for me to, especially because when I got to Leicester, I found out that my health was deteriorating faster than I anticipated. Oh, no. um, and it was, not that getting worse, but the worse it gets, the more answers you get. And I still don't have a lot of answers. And again, within the disabled community, I do have a lot of privilege as a white person because I didn't even realize this, but when people with my same disease, which is already very, very difficult to diagnose because a lot of people think that you're lying about it, others outside of, of like me, they have and even more hard time to do it. And I'm like, I'm already scraping and yelling and asking, please believe me. And it's already so difficult to me, so I can't imagine someone else having that, you know? But it wasn't until I got to Leicester that they're like, hey, it's okay to be disabled. Like, it's okay to use your voice in this way. So that's why I really wanted to talk through my research about this, especially going to my PhD, because I was always told to, to keep it quiet. Keep it yourself. Um, the common thing that we're told is don't say anything till you get to HR because no one wants to know about that because then you're a liability. Yeah, you and the problem keep... with that is by the time you get to HR, it could be too late depending on the issue. And exactly. In places, HR is designed to protect the company. Exactly. designed to protect the people. And that's why I really found accessibility. Because if you're disabled in accessibility, not that it's okay, but it's encouraged. Because most people in accessibility are not disabled simply because, or maybe they are and they don't use their own lived experience and illness identity to, you know, bring accessibility forward because they're, they're scared. Because once you find out that you are disabled, the world treats you a lot differently. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, uh, we, we, when, we con when I contacted you, we were talking about the title of the episode and I used the phrase, is the glam sector reasonably adjusted? 
because I did some training with MIND about the fact that most, it, it's a legal requirement in the UK that you make reasonable adjustments exactly. that require it. Um, but people were really scared of what those adjustments were, even though it's prefaced by the term reasonable. And a lot of reasonable adjustments aren't in fact that hard to implement, but mm -hmm. there was a massive fear. And I think, again, you get people sort of kind of reacting defensively because they think that they have to make some massive changes when they actually, as you said, should just be listening and trying mm -hmm. to find out ways in which things can gently be accommodated because a lot of the time there's no reason why you should be taking tests in the cold in the freezing cold yeah exactly hasn't thought that you might need something slightly more adjustable to work with because of your pain yeah exactly and and that's um, what, sorry i was gonna say this <laughs> i didn't i had like undiagnosed it's not as bad but undiagnosed dyslexia Pain, pain yes. is pain and disability is disability. No one has it worse or better. You need to grab your own illness identity <laughs> and put it to your chest and be like, this is me and it is okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess what I, maybe what I'm trying to say is like, I can cope with it now. So mm -hmm. the pain of like the emotional turmoil of it is kind of abated of it. Um, but but I was not diagnosed uh, as dyslexic until I was 20. So I went through my GCSEs, my... And that's a long time. Uh, and a level. lot of people face that. Yeah. And it was uh, I, like, I'm severely dyslexic as well. Um, but I found ways around it in a strange, like, my because of the way my brain works, I just found ways to kind of... Um, be covert in in the way that i what i needed and like how i worked and stuff and the, the woman who diagnosed me she was said she was like you must have been working twice as hard as everybody else to get into this university and i almost like crying because i was like i always felt like that it's that it's validation it's so validating and, then, and that's one of the most important parts yeah and then two years ago i think it was i was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and i again like I'm a big fan of labels because it helps me figure out how to like same better. Same. I know not everybody yeah. is. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but with your illness identity, it yeah. works. Labels work for you. For me, yeah. But then recently I've been showing symptoms or recognizing symptoms of ADD. <laughs> and, um, I'm putting off getting tested because I was like, I have enough on my plate. <laughs> it was like I'm also brown and queer. I don't, I could, um, <laughs> I'm now. Just one more thing. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, like, I'll, is there a box you don't tick? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not, I'm not trans or non-binary, so. Those two oh. probably the only ones. <laughs> it is well, interesting because on this podcast, I have such <laughs> relative privilege. Like, I'm a heterosexual woman of colour. Barely, you know, scratches the surface. It's a privilege to be straight, Esther. I think being straight is really hard when you're a woman. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So, in the realm of museums, just yeah. would you like to know in general my thoughts, my experiences? What would you like? Everything. I actually want to know, like, about your experiences personally, your research that's kind of led into these discussions and these thoughts, and yeah, solutions and as well. I, would really I feel like you've got loads. And then I would really love for you to just tell us exactly how you personally think what 
what um, strategies that museums should implement in order to do better? Yeah, yeah. definitely. So obviously I've had the immense privilege to go to museums my entire life. Uh, having family that lives in Washington, D.C., I mean, every single year, we always went to the Smithsonian. Some kids went to Disney World and the water park. I've never been. I went to the museums. I mean, Night in the Museum, Battle of the Smithsonian, I saw in the Smithsonian, which is really fun to say that. Uh, so I worked at the Smithsonian. I worked at the British Museum. I just have to work at the Natural History Museum in New York, and that has completed the Night in the Museum trifecta. Yes! <laughs> that is honestly... And when I was contacted the British Museum about my placement being canceled, I literally said to them, you are the second on my list. I need to finish this. And they were like, yes! <laughs> Which just cracked me up. So I've had the immense privilege to grow up in museums because my parents were always like, even when we didn't have a lot of money, they were always like, well, we're going to take you to the museum because it's just so important. And obviously having so many children um, you know, even though my brother's eight years old, my other siblings are 20 and 18. So it was just the three of us for a while and five people, that's a lot. So usually if you bought like one membership, you go twice, it's paid for itself. Mm -hmm. So we went a lot to zoos and museums and historic houses and all this kind of stuff. And it was such, uh, I didn't realize that until I was older to grow up in such a culturally diverse section because we saw everything. And I'm so lucky to be in my personal life with a person that loves to do that. I mean, when we, so he came to see me after I finished the National Army Museum and we went traveling, all we did was go to museums and learn about the culture and what's up. Apparently, I didn't know that I do this. He told me I do. I count the interactives when we go to museums. <laughs> uh, the Louvre has 87, if anyone wants to know. Have you ever been to the science museum in London? Because you would just... Yes, I have been there. Oh, I just... I love it. I don't remember that number. I remember the Louvre, though, because after his... He kept complaining that his feet hurt, but he's like, you should to see 87 interrupted. <laughs> <laughs> that's so interesting to me, because obviously that's like this really important way of engaging with the museum as well. Mm -hmm. Interactives are so important because that is a way for and of course every interactive is different and every interactive will never fully accommodate everyone because disability is a spectrum yeah. so i this and again i don't speak for the entire disability community but the people in the disabled in my community we agree that nothing is ever going to be fully accessible i mean that's just the facts i mean but that doesn't mean that museums should stop and be like this is all we can do that that's that's not how it's supposed to be um, I talk about it a lot in my paper and I agree with my other friends who also have the experiences that even when I'm not accommodated in a certain museum, but I see that they are trying their hardest to focus on one sector at a time, it gives me a really positive lived experience. Because even though it's not me, it's not my specific disability that's being represented, I see other people in my community even because you know the disability community has pockets of diversity mm -hmm. um i see them being represented if they're working really hard on british sign language or they're working hard on visual impairments or they're working really hard on mobility issues for me that's enough because let's face it museums are extremely underfunded and they're extremely understaffed so you can only do so much at a time but i mean just having your staff know a little bit of british sign language 
it goes a long way in the disability community, even if they don't, if they're not deaf or hard of hearing, because it shows that they're making effort. I mean, when I wanted to get into this, I took an American Sign Language class. I'm very bad at it, but I can get you to the bathroom. <laughs> I can get you to the bathroom, and I can tell you if there's a fire. <laughs> That's and, the most important thing. Right? And well, my it's, tutor... It's really interesting because I like languages as well. So if I go to a new city, I will always try and learn at least like a couple of phrases in the language. To, you know, to, you be, to be polite. You're, hello, course. you're welcome. Um, mm -hmm. You know, um, can I get some help for you? Or I can't speak English. Exactly. You know, people can do that quite easily. Um, people are younger and younger learning things like Mapaton, like through exactly. kind of like Kelly yeah. So actually, it's not that hard to equip people with that sort of basic level knowledge to say, actually, as our organisation, as our museum, we want to be welcoming to everyone, and we mm -hmm. are very aware that that might help. Exactly. And that's the whole thing, too. I feel like the reason museums aren't going for it is that they're really nervous and that's honestly understandable because this is possibly a section that you could offend someone some people couldn't understand that's why a lot of people disabled community don't like the actual word disabled and the museums are aware of this but they don't know that it's just how you self-identify with your illness identity and it's just little things that museums can do to just make it everything a little bit easier. Staff training is a huge one. I can't tell you how many times I've been glared at getting in the lift um, because I just physically couldn't walk up the stairs that day because I was in too much pain or I had my TENS machine on and it was not allowing me to walk up the stairs. <laughs> so yeah. just little, little things like that. And I know that museums are nervous. That makes sense, but nothing's going to change and nothing changes. I mean, well, you fall and stumble and crumble, yes, but that is how you learn. And again, the disabled community is there, they're ready. They're, I had 149 participants in my survey and I included at least one answer from every single person, which is why my dissertation is 48 pages long. <laughs> my poor it's printer. It doesn't even um, seem like it's that long, honestly. Mm -hmm. Oh, stop. I, really it. <laughs> I like the visuals in it where, mm -hmm. as particularly the, the one you've got as the cover, cover image, which is, if you could see my physical cracks, would you treat me differently? And it is about this idea that people, if they don't see it, start to ignore it. Exactly. And I want to get a huge shout out to Colorblind Zebra on Instagram. That is her artwork. All the artwork in my dissertation has been by disabled artists or disabled activists. And I got their consent for all of them. All of them have image descriptions. And I got a lot, I was a little bit nervous to put in after each individual picture, the credits, because a lot of papers, you do it just at the end. You, you guys know, but it's so important to show that this, because a lot of people see the disabled community as a vulnerable. And some are, some aren't, some identify as that, and some don't, like I said. But it's so important to say, this community is very, very capable of making their own decisions, making their own artwork. I mean, so the fact that I got to, I had the absolute honor and privilege to use this amazing artwork from all these amazing, amazing individuals is so humbling. Because when you see their artwork, you're like, oh my gosh, that's me. And even if you 
don't identify as disabled or you don't identify as having chronic pain or you identify as something different or even if you identify purely as able-bodied that you think there's quote nothing wrong with you which if you're disabled there is nothing wrong with you you're fine just the way you are um it's so important to be like you can always identify with this artwork because it strikes a chord with with everyone i mean i yeah. feel like everyone knows a disabled person even if they don't know it but i feel like when you look at artwork like this it's so important to be like hey that kind of reminds me of xx and x mm. and it was most important to get artwork by disabled artists not a third party because and again not always um the disabled community is usually represented by a third party able person looking through the the submarine of our community and i didn't want that to happen so uh the only non-disabled uh, uh people that i have in there are a very successful center for endometriosis care in the states and they are hardcore activists for the disabled community because endometriosis is it usually takes about 10 years to get diagnosed because people uh, usually don't believe men and women and non-binary people who have it mm. um so it was it's really bad so it was just so i feel like putting them in there was important to me to be like hey you cannot be disabled but also be a champion for our community because let's face it we do it makes sense but it doesn't mean that they need to be our whole voices oh that's really beautiful i think that, i think you put that really well um yeah it's a really important part of who you are but it's not the whole of who you are exactly um, doesn't define you but absolutely there is learning to be had from your community because if we want to engage with the world around us particularly with disabilities that are invisible or experiences that aren't visible mm. you know it's really 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 important for us to have that listening ear i think exactly I really, um, that's the whole thing just listen that's all we're asking i really enjoy using um the spoon theory um, oh yeah. my gosh is that Every not just again, the most just amazing get, thing like, Especially when, like, I'm in work and there's, a, you know, a few people who know me really well and they're like, oh, are you okay? And I'm like, just like I used all my spoons by accident. <laughs> like, this thing came up and I didn't... I do that all the time! I've got a friend who does that as well. Yeah, and, and I, it was really like, interesting because she'd never known how to express it. And another friend of mine who has chronic illness had mentioned it to me and I sent it to her. And then she came for a, my birthday party for a big birthday, my 40th. Um, and so because we had that discussion and she'd been able to articulate it, I was like, right, what do you need? Okay, there's a, I've talked to the staff at the venue. There's a space yeah. that you can go and hang out in um, if you need to kind of go and take some time and get some downtime. And it was really, and she was able to stay much longer than she normally would have at any of my events. Usually she's have to leave early. So wonderful. Oh, I'm going to cry. That's so nice. Really, really <laughs> nice. But like, obviously I want her to have a really great time and be there and not have to leave early. Yeah, so of course. It was really of course. kind of great to have that full experience with her because I've known her a really long time and her illness yeah. got worse. Yeah, I um, have um... a... Yeah, I have yeah. a couple of friends who um, have like, well, quite a few friends who have uh, disabilities and I'm like their go-to person, um, which is 
Such I'm not surprised. Is. You're wonderful. <laughs> you both are. <laughs> like I see, it's like a privilege that I'm that trusted. Yeah. That person, when they're feeling their most vulnerable, that I get to be that person who helps them. Um, but like every now and again, they you know they'll start feeling bad and they'll say that they're a burden or whatever. And I, because I'm very annoying and aggressive, I'm just like, I don't care. And it comes across as like, you are not annoying like, and aggressive. Rude. You're just a good friend. But it's like, who I'm understands you. love you. Agree. <laughs> there is. Can we please be best friends? I think I just I found myself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Like, I just say to them like, and sometimes like the first time I said like, I don't care about your disability. It came across like I was like, I don't. I see, I see it, I view it, I value it, I value you as a person. Um, I will give you whatever you need in order for you to be happy, but I do not see you as your disability is what I was trying to say, but yeah. it came across as like... It's, it's a really, really hard, hard thing to say. My birthday, and it wouldn't have been the same without her. So if I could do anything to help her be there and enjoy it, that's what I'm going to goddamn do. Yeah. You are you, and your disability is a part of you, and therefore I've got to make that work. Yeah. Exactly. What's the point? And that's what a lot of people don't realize. A lot of people in the able-bodied community, and again, not always, they see a person as disabled, and then a person. So yeah. people see me as disabled, then Gabriel. So that's, that's why I really didn't, quote, come out to people as disabled, really until I got to Leicester. Because I actually just... Uh, came out to my parents actually as being uh, my health being really bad about two months ago. Wow. Um, so not that they are not supportive or anything mm. like that, but I mean, I live in Ocean away. Uh, they, they were so, okay, really. so hard uh, to provide for my siblings and really strong. So yeah. Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Uh, yeah, if you just want to repeat the last bit that you just said. So, they're so amazing and wonderful, and they try so hard, uh, and they succeed to raise these three amazing kids that I didn't want to burden them. And oh. that's something that's really hard to do, Judy, that you feel like a burden. It's such and a big they word. They made you feel like a burden, but society as a whole has Exactly, exactly. And everyone's like, are your parents not supportive? I'm like... I could tell my parents that I identify as purple and they'd be like, cool, <laughs> everything's purple now. <laughs> They're just that, that kind of people. But I didn't, again, it's that societal, internal ableisticness that everyone has that you feel like a burden. It wasn't until my partner was like, what if one day it gets too bad and you can't say anything? I'm like, that's a cool. But also too, the pandemic was happening. I was supposed to come visit for a holiday and I couldn't, I once, I mean, this is a big thing to tell them on, I mean, I did it on a FaceTime call. I thought I would at least be able to do it in person. That's so brave though. And so important. So Um, it's really, do you need to take a quick break now? Um, I'm really excited to be back with you, Gabriel, in (laughs) the next episode. So So excited. We'll be back after these messages. Hi, every, hi everyone, just wanted to say thank you for listening and give you an update on what we've got going on over here at Well Spoken Tokens and Intersectional Glam. So first off, the Intersectional Glam conference has been moved to August 2021. Tickets are available on Eventbrite and the link will be in the show description. I've also created three training sessions so far. 
This are available on intersectionalglam.org. We have online training for unconscious and implicit bias training for glam professionals. We have diversity, inclusion and intersectionality training for glam professionals and also trans awareness training for glam professionals. Coming out in August we 2020, we will also have anti-racism training, uh, which will all be available on the website intersectionalglam.org. We have also created a tip jar. Uh, we want to make this podcast as elegant and beautiful and well-rounded as possible. So if you have any spare coinage, please send it our way and we can make sure to make this podcast the best that we possibly can. Thank you so much. All links will be available in the show description. Enjoy the rest of the show. So we are back with Well Spoken Tokens. We're here with Gabrielle Sec. Before the break, she was just telling us um, about coming out as disabled to her parents and how amazing her parents are. Um, They're pretty great. I got pretty lucky in the parent lottery. (laughs) But even still, you were kind of talking about how it's still an emotional journey to do that when even when you have really, really support. Exactly. It doesn't matter how supportive you, your community is. And again, like I said, I'm very privileged to have a very, very supporting community. But even then, my parents don't know everything because it's still that internal thing of, I don't want to be a burden. And again, that's not anything I was, you know, that's not something my parents instilled in me. That's not something I view as myself, but that is just the internal ableism that a lot of people have from society and that's really really sad yeah i feel like that's the the normal response to erasure within our society exactly and what we feel when we're not represented when we're not given what we need to be out and about i was reading about the purple pound and how much money i mean not that i want to talk about money wise but just the amount of (laughs) money that museums could make if that's all they care about if they're not giving you know giving a shit about the ethical stuff and the fact that they should be and it should be accessible but I think it was something like seven seven million every two months or something it was a huge amount of money from the disabled community and I know that before you know there's the phrase about the pink pound for um the queer community mm. um, and how making things more accessible to them and like actually giving us a space and stuff would like result in people spending more money and that was kind of like a, one of the reasons it became more acceptable I think in some and that life. that's a thing I mean if you um it, it is bad it is bad <laughs> but it's, bad, I, it's necessary I guess because we live in a capitalist society uh, Honey, I live in the United States. You don't have to tell me <laughs> twice. <laughs> Sorry. Also, on behalf of everyone in America right now, we are angry too. We are not happy. This man does not speak for me anyway. <laughs> um, but I mean, if that's, if that's what it takes, um, I, uh, throughout my research, I read a comment um, on a person in our community who was in the wheelchair and he said, if I can't, immediately get to that point I move on because my time is too valuable to do that and sadly that's true I mean there have been times where I can't get up the stairs and I move on and I mean I am educated in museums I am passionate about museums I'm dedicated my life to museums and 
you know, not that I'm a special person, but I have probably a deeper appreciation and understanding for museums than, you know. You want to so, be in them. And you exactly. Still, and you exactly. Still move on. Like you exactly. passion for them and you'll still go, no. Exactly. So imagine just a normal visitor or someone on holiday going to a museum and if they cannot, and, and I mean, this rang true in so many places, and especially with the research that I did, if these people within, it's like a two second period, if they're not, all right, I can get there, they're not going to go. No. And though that is, though the money thing is upsetting because again, it's how the world is. Museums are underfunded, as we've said. You know, Ex extremely on secondary income from someone buying stuff in their gift shop or something in their cafe. Then they exactly. are eliminating a whole bunch of people who not only get to experience the museum that is the culture that we're talking about, but they're also not getting that secondary income and secondary exactly and that advocacy. So they are missing out on wildly and again connected communities of people who will then talk and tell other people exactly, well i had yeah. a horrific experience when I went exactly and also um, too yeah, if I you have a oh yeah sorry go ahead no no carry on oh sorry uh, like you were saying if someone has a positive lived experience in the museum they're more they're more likely to be oh, okay i'll go have i'll go have a cuppa or something or i'll go buy a postcard you know in there, but I'm like, if I don't enjoy the museum, I mean, let's face it, there have been, for you guys too, there have been some museums that you do not like. Yeah. And again, it's either it's not accessible, it makes you uncomfortable, or it's just, it's just not, not your cup of tea. Um, you won't go into the gift shop and I'll say, you won't go and get a cuppa or anything like that. Because like I said, museums are so underfunded. I mean, just look at their staff. I mean, when I had the privilege to be at the National Army Museum, they had um what is it they had an assistant i believe an assistant curator along that sector it changed every day because and they had like five vacancies they could not fill not because people weren't qualified because they couldn't pay the salary and yeah. and we will think of museums like they get millions and millions of pounds i'm like yeah but a lot of it's not going to people I mean, do some directors make a lot of money? Yes. Yes. But it's the people on the bottom end. It's the curators, the educational team, it's the accessibility team. The they're not, team. Yeah. yeah, exactly. They're not, the, the guards, they're not making this huge museum. I mean, no one, it's like teaching. No one goes into museums for the money. Yeah. <laughs> Let's face it. Um, I mean, so it's a lot of, yeah, museums are underfunded, but it's a lot of people are leaving museums because they can't afford to work in the museum anymore. And like I said, I've had tons of privilege because my industries have been unpaid. I live with my grandma. <laughs> um, you know, she's yeah, she's a great cook, so I did not complain. I imagine um, that immediately. Let's <laughs> like, see, just yeah. come home to a nice meal and a nice yeah, so that was nice. Um, but I mean, when I lived in Greece and I lived in London, I went on scholarship, but I still took out loans. Yeah. I mean. I can't imagine London's cheap to live in, even with a scholarship. Mm. I mean, I, I, I had to take out because I couldn't afford it. Yeah, I had to take out a significant loan. And yeah. same thing with going to Leicester. I mean, what I did get accepted to multiple schools. I was very lucky for that. But not only is Leicester one of the best in the world, it was also the cheapest. Yeah. So that was a huge, the yeah, 
So shout out to Lester, even though international students pay about 10,000 pounds more than oh in-home students, but we're not going to get into that <laughs> because yeah, I'll just get on a rant. It's really interesting because actually when we talk about these barriers to getting into the careers and getting into the sectors, mm -hmm. finance is a massive, massive barrier. And again, if exactly. you've got a disability and it might take a little bit more money to accommodate you physically in your home or whatever like that people need to factor those things into the reasons why sometimes the industry isn't as progressive as it could be because to yeah. actually get in there it does take quite a lot of money to actually be in the place yeah. to use your voice to talk about these things in the first place it takes money privilege connections i mean if i wouldn't have gone to, even though i had a terrible experience in undergrad if i didn't go to that specific school I wouldn't have had these opportunities because they were only affiliated with that school. So it's just the thing of everyone's like, oh, this is this, but there's so many more factors that you have to consider. I mean, the only reason that I can do remotely for the British Museum right now and the Women's and London History Museum is that I'm with my parents right now. I am with my parents in their house. Uh, there's food in the cupboard. Like, I don't need to go out and worry about that. And a lot of people don't have that privilege. So you need to be aware not that as this is, being disabled is just one more Jenga piece on your towel that's already toppling. <laughs> so, oh, sorry. Yeah. We play a lot of Jenga. When <laughs> my mother bought like giant Jenga for my youngest oh my brother. God, that's all we've been doing. Oh, he got hit pretty hard in the head. He's still like, I'm fine, let's do it. That's hilarious. That's a good amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm like I'm like a proud mom. Like Aww. I can't wait to be an aunt. I'm so excited because Aww. I'm just like I love these children. <laughs> my my little sister's eight years younger than me, and I had so much fun with that one. Right? Isn't it the best? I'm fifteen. My little sister's seventeen years younger than me. Yes. Lots of confusing conversations about whether I was her mother. Oh uh, my gosh, that's so <laughs> bad. When we would take so my partner, uh, he has like like dirty blonde hair and so does James, my youngest brother. So of course James looks like me too. Oh, the amount of dirty looks. Oh, I used to get dirty all the time. And though. dirty comments that we got. Yeah. My favorite was we were in the garden store and James was like one, so I was holding him and um, my mom wrapped him a lot in like a sling and so she taught oh, us how to do it. And so I was wearing him in his wrap and a woman passed me and goes, oh, look at you, a young mother. I'm like, I was just standing there waiting for my mom to buy flowers. And I'm like, and I said to her, I'm like, yep, you know, just waiting for our mom. That's what brothers and sisters do. They wait. Her face, she walked right out. But the judgment, and this is it, we live in a society that makes all these really snap judgments. And exactly. So, I mean, even if, even if he was my child, you don't know what happened to me. Yeah. You didn't know the circumstances. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I look 21 at 14. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's again, like the snap judgments from like when you use the lift. Like first, yeah. like, first question is why the fuck someone making that judgment anyway? Like they should just mind their own business. Exactly. Most of those cases. Like, and when you were talking about people seeing you or seeing people with a disability as their disability first and then the person second, my immediate thought was like, those people are really missing out on yeah. some really amazing, excellent people 
exactly choose to see the world and live their lives then they are seriously missing out and doing themselves a disservice which you know they don't deserve those people in their lives anyway exactly yeah. because that's it like it's like already like we love you we're having this really great interaction you've got so much energy you're so beautiful <laughs> wonderful but, wearing like, makeup don't make me cry like, dear god <laughs> Thinking about the barriers you have to come through with your illness, with it not being acknowledged, so you, like you both have talked to, you've had to do that extra, 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 extra work all the time. Like, it just makes me want to respect you more. And just <laughs> the idea that we're in this society that's kind of like, okay, what we're going to think of first is like the absolute least we can do to make this place open. Mm -hmm. And that makes me really, really, really sad. Mm -hmm. Like, but, you know... Yeah for doing just that little bit more, just that little bit wider thinking, that little bit broader thinking, thinking through someone else's experience could make that, just elevate what they do to such heights. And exactly. that makes me really angry. It makes me sad, makes me annoyed and frustrated. That's good. So. It should make you angry. <laughs> yeah, it should make you upset. The, so, yeah, so I can say, like, ideal world, ideal situation. All the money in the world what would you do to um fix it how would you start to make museums more accessible i know it's a really broad question because there's so many different types of mm -hmm. disabilities there's so many different things that we need to accommodate um but how would you start what would you what would be ideal for you personally? well like i said disability is a spectrum no, no place, no website, no land. It can never be 100% accessible. And the disability community is not ignorant to this fact. We know that, especially with rare disabilities, that there's only like two or three cases, they're not being considered, even though they should. I mean, nothing's going to be 100% accessible. That's, again, that's just a fact. And that's okay. That's what a lot of museums right now in again, this is my own opinion, they're scared because like, we have to accommodate everyone. It's like, no, 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 you don't. Not right now. You have limited funding and limited time on your hands. Let's face it. If you just start by one little thing, my mom always said to me, if you can make a difference for just one person in your life, then your life's been worth it. And that's what she says to me about museums. I, oh, she's, I want your mom she's, to adopt me. She's <laughs> literally a goddess. I got so lucky. <laughs> Stricter than you could believe but a goddess. <laughs> um, but, and that's what she said. She's like, if you can, if someone walks into your museum and they have mobility issues or they are hard of hearing or deaf or they have visual impairments, you made their experience just a little bit easier. And you just, that's one person, your whole life, you just influenced one person. Isn't it all worth it? And that's what kind of I've lived my life by is if you can just make a difference for one person. And even if that person is you, that's okay. I mean, if I can make the world a little bit easier for people with chronic pain, with visual impairments, the whole spectrum of disability, then it's worth it. I want to live in a world where obviously, you know, my two older siblings, they're, they know who they are, they're in the world now, and I'm so proud of them. But my youngest brother, he's still learning. He's, mm, yeah. let's face it, he's brand new. Um, I want him to live in a world where he, his friends, no matter how they identify, how, if they're disabled or not, they can go anywhere they want. They, he doesn't, I would love for it to not be a second thought. 
But I mean, as also too, when you think about funding and everything like that, especially when they build new museums, uh, I believe that's like less than 2% of your budget goes to accessibility because that's all it needs. It's literally not that hard at all. But yeah. one of the main things is disabled people need to be in the museum. That's just that simple. Yes, the able-bodied community can do it, but they can only do so much. You need people with lived experience, with firm illness identity to go in and be like, all right, here's how it works for me. And again, this is just my own experience, but it can be translated to other things. Like me, I have, I have chronic pain and I get judgments going to the lift, but that can go with so many other diverse pockets of the disabled community. A lot of it is staff training. Um, I would love to read a quote, if that's okay. I printed on my paper. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, one that really hit me really, really hard. And I can just tell you, I cried, was humbled, and by all these responses. So uh, Subject 28, uh, they write, I did once ask a staff member where the lifts in the museum were. She told me the lifts were disabled access only, and I was welcome to use the stairs. I have hidden disabilities, and I'm unable to climb stairs, but I was too embarrassed to debate this. So I just stayed on the lower floor, which was saddening. Just little thing. And that broke me. Literally, she'd been asked a question, didn't know anything about that person, and all she would need to do is say, right, the lifts are over there. Yeah. And also, too, you don't know. I mean, have I, I've also been glared at by using the lift by people in, with prams. I'm like, that's... Yeah, yeah. Just, I have just the... Same right to be in here as you do, Karen. <laughs> but, <laughs> spawn. but that's not the point. But it's just But it is the point. Exactly. But it comes down to training. I mean, when I had to come back to the United States last week for this emergency, I went through KLM and they insinuated that I was lying about my disability. Wow. Um and denied my accommodations. So I, I almost so sorry. I almost fainted four times. It was super fun. <laughs> you know what's bad when TSA and customs are nicer to you. Like, that's, <laughs> that's terrifying. Like, like, when I got to Detroit, to United States Customs, one of the worst custom places, they're like, oh my God, are you okay? <laughs> so oh that is a problem when yeah. United States Customs is nice to you. <laughs> but the airline just, oh. when, and when TSA is nice to you, the girl's like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I'm like, it's okay, it's okay. Oh, man. So, and again, you, you don't know. It's kind of like the thing of when I was holding James in the store and that woman said that to me. You don't yeah. know what I've been through. You yeah. don't know my life. I've, I, I see this thing circling around. It says, treat everyone as if they're disabled. It's like, no, don't do that. Just treat everyone the way you want to be treated and believe people. because. Yeah. I'm sure that a lot of people who can't identify with this, I, believe me, I don't want to talk to the staff sometimes. Sometimes just, I don't want extra help. Am I embarrassed wearing my tennis machine sometimes? Yes, because it's a giant wire that pops out of my dress, but do I will admit there are some times where I, you know, I pull the wire out so people can see it because if you have an accessibility aid and you have an invisible disability, people are more likely to believe you. And again, that's yeah. not discrediting people who use um, accessibility aids or anything like that. But, you know, it's just that ableistic view of everyone 
who is disabled must be in a wheelchair. And are those who are in wheelchairs? Yes, and they are valid and they are important, but that's not this family community. Yeah. That is a diverse, a diverse pocket of it. I have, so, um, I have a very funny friend who has a, a scooter. You know him, he goes to home a lot, Pete. He is, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's Everyone hilarious. Knows. Like he always makes me laugh so much. And then like I said to him once, I was just like, oh, Pete, you're so funny. You should do stand-up comedy. Like, genuinely, you're so funny. And he was like, oh, yeah, I'll do stand-up, sit-down comedy. And I was just like, laughing. Oh, my God. And, like, I don't see him often. But, like, when I do see him out and about, we have a good chat and we have a good banter. Um, and he makes fun of me for stuff and I make fun of him for stuff. And, yeah, like, it doesn't come up unless it needs to come up do you know what i mean like exactly. unless i'm asking him about his week and he's telling me that oh there was a place that he couldn't get into or whatever and then it it's good it should be normal like these conversations should yeah. be normal and they should be okay to have for both exactly. parties like one person shouldn't be thinking oh god is it okay to say this it's like well if you've mm. got a relationship with the person a friendship with them and you're not just yeah. being like what's wrong with you yeah exactly <laughs> like then you're probably fine and you're probably okay to and they will correct you if you're wrong and that is exactly the thing. yeah and I think, like, i'd much rather get asked be like yeah. hi i have a question are you comfortable answering um when I was a nanny, I would wear my TENS machine and I, of course, I told parents, you know, like, you know, I carry medication, I have the TENS machine, like, I'll explain to your kids. And I, they asked me, like, what's this? I'm like, oh, I'm actually a cyborg. They're like, cool. <laughs> and they ran away. <laughs> it's, it's kind of like when you tell people, like, tell children about the LGBTQ community. Yeah. And they're like, cool. And they ran away. I mean, the first time that my youngest brother was ever introduced that he was about four and we were watching a tv show a game show and then these two women and they were married and my mom and i are like right he's never been shown to this because you know he's just never had the opportunity so we weren't going to say anything and they were both named christian and they they finished <laughs> james is like how can they get married if they have the same name why <laughs> and he could not get it out of his mind he's like they have the same name they can get married they have the same name so, <laughs> I agree with was, him. That's weird. That's weird. <laughs> a little bit weird. <laughs> so that's what bothered him the most. Yeah. Was that they had the same what bothered me too. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> but I know what you mean. It's like having that sense of like normalizing like what is lack of exactly. going through them. And yeah. I was I was very open with the kids I watched about it. And uh, did I tell them in depth what was wrong? I'm like, no, I'm like, oh, sometimes Miss Gabriel hurts. And I just have to put this on my tummy. That's all. That's yeah, what I have to do. And they're like, it, like age appropriate mm -hmm. and it's fine. Exactly. It's, yeah. I mean, even my youngest brother, he knows that I have a special machine that helps me feel better. That's all he knows. And a side effect of my medication is extreme overheating. Uh, which is not great when you have low pigmentation. It can't be in the sun anyway. <laughs> um, but we were playing outside yesterday, and James knows that, okay, I have to go in the shade because, yeah. and I can't stay outside very long. It doesn't mean I don't love you as much. It's just, yeah. this is just something that's happening. And I tell them, like, my medicine makes me get hot really easy. He goes, okay. And yeah. he's fine. Reasonable adjustments. Exactly. Yeah. And I it's like how, like, children understand boundaries so much better than most adults understand yeah, because children are they innocent unlearn it. they unlearn it because <laughs> people 
Exactly. I wish more people were, it was okay to just be like, hey, I said this in the past, but now it's not okay. It's okay to go back on what you said because you've learned new information. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how, mu- how many things when you went to college did you, you know, go back on because you've learned new information? It's complete. Yeah. I wish more people understood that. Like, yeah. as a disabled person, and again, I am not, not outwardly disabled, and that, in my opinion, for just me personally, it's a privilege because I'm not immediately judged. Is it harder sometimes? Yes and no. It always depends. It's a lot easier when I'm with my partner because he is an advocate for me. And I always joke with my friends that he's like my only friend. I talk about him all the time, but he is an advocate for me. And let's face it, it's nice to have an able-bodied person with you sometimes be like, hey, she's not lying. And Nothing against him, but he shouldn't need to do that. No, he should not. He should, he should just, he, and again, he, exactly. And I, he always lets me pick my own battles, which I'm so grateful for. Um, and he'll only step in when needed. We have like a little sign, like if I give him a look, he knows. But again, again, he, he knows that sometimes I don't have enough spoons for this. Or, I mean, he came over yesterday and I had been watching my brother all day long because my parents were out um and I don't remember but I fell asleep when we were talking because I was just I was out of spoons he didn't do anything I woke up with a blanket on me because he's like I assumed that you were just tired and that's what it should be and that is all right she's she's out of spoons today she's done I will that is an adjustment you know but yes. sometimes a reasonable adjustment's aren't okay and I feel like that's something that um outside the digital community that people really don't understand like a lot of museums the wheelchair accessible um you know like ramp is in the back of the museum I mean yeah. I have been yeah, so many that, where it's it, it makes so it seem yeah like they want you like to near visible, like near so the bins like yeah. near the bins for Pete's sake I'm like I don't I mean sometimes stairs are very difficult for me especially if I'm having a flare-up but also, too, if I'm out for a long time and I overheat, I mean, I was in Paris, I was at the Palace of Versailles, and I, it was the four hottest days on record in the past hundred years. Lucky oh, me. God. I know. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember most of it. Um, but I, I overheated and I sat down, but the Palace of Versailles had no seating. But even though, so I speak, like you said earlier, I know enough French to be polite. But, you know, when you're having a flare-up or you're woozy because you're overheating, I'm, like, talking like, broken French. And the guy can obviously tell, like, okay, something's wrong. And he tried to invest his ability to help me. And that is the kind of staff training we need. If your building cannot be accessible, you need staff that are ready to help people in need. I mean, again, the community knows that, like, places like the Tower of London, it's a historic site. They're not going to make it accessible. I mean, there are way too many laws way too much red tape that's just the reality of it but there are so it's many not great it's fine yeah it's really not it's just <laughs> it's, it's just a tower with yeah. a spiral staircase that's it's it fine. but there are so many more things that we can do and i mean the more i talk to people in museums they're desperate for this and they're like we feel ashamed when our lifts are broken you know i was at um, the National Fashion Museum in London on a school trip. So we got to go like behind the scenes and everything like that. It was so great. But part of the lifts weren't working. And 
it, I felt really bad being like, hey guys, I can't walk up the stairs right now. And we had to go all the way around and I actually got to use the staff stairs, which, which was fine. But I, again, that internal ableism, I felt really bad about it. I felt like a burden. You know, I feel really bad sometimes when I have to go into a disabled toilet just because, you know, oh, without- okay. The next time that happens, just imagine yeah. me in your head being like, don't feel bad. Shouting <laughs> at you for feeling bad. You goddess. I <laughs> I, I <hate laughs> why did, why did it take me? Why does it take me so long to meet you two beautiful women? <laughs> no, like, yeah, I think rude. we do need Universe to be a line of like motivational shouts from Jas, where you can <gasps> yes! just like stand on it and then just yes! program it into your phone, and then it's just like, oh yes! my god, I'm feeling bad about yes! my personal circumstances. Yes, 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 just go yes, yes, yes. You are beautiful. You are wonderful. You're amazing. Don't feel bad about yourself. You I, need I'm to go kick ass. You could join. <laughs> copywriting it right now. If anyone steals this idea, I will sue you. Yes. <laughs> If anybody ever does feel like that, like seriously, you are just taking care of yourself. Exactly. Like, I mean, you should be about welcoming people in. Yeah, and you would. I'm. I guarantee everyone who ever feels like that would never make their friends feel bad about it. Exactly. Ever. Or even a and stranger. Right, and that's the whole thing. But I mean, like, obviously, you know, if there's someone who has a mobility aid, I obviously will let them go first. But you know, the disabled toilets are really good for me to put on my TENS machine. So I'm not like, you know, really, really yeah. cramped or, you know, a side effect of my disability is extreme and sudden nausea. So super fun. So there are times where I literally have to sprint and if that's the only one open, do you really want me to throw up in the sink? Yeah. Because my mother always said, ladies don't throw up in public. Because <laughs> I did it once. <laughs> I was having, I think that's when I knew my disability was bad. I was working at the Smithsonian and I had a terrible, terrible flare up and I was sitting at the bus stop waiting to, I was three hours in on the bus and three hours out. So I did a six hour commute every single day because I wow. lived with my grinds. And it was, girl, it was worth it. <laughs> oh, good. It was worth it. Commute Tell you some like, things like, about the Smithsonian. <laughs> It's okay. I memorized the whole Hamilton album like a week. <laughs> so it was fine. <laughs> but I was sitting on the on the sidewalk waiting for my bus because I just couldn't move and it was so embarrassing. And I threw up on the sidewalk and this poor little old lady was obviously a tourist. She had like the visor on and everything. She went, oh, and she ran away. <laughs> and that's what my mom told me. Ladies don't throw up in public. <laughs> <laughs> Unless, of course, they have an invisible disability. That is right. Happen. But I have not thrown up in public since. Yeah. Yeah, put that out. I mean, <laughs> let's not talk about... Yeah. <laughs> I met, of course, I'm such a classy lady. Right. Um, I was so about me, but yeah, we'll go with that. We <laughs> are going to segue into our regular segments. Um, so, we have two regular segments. I think you're aware. We yes, have I'm our so Milky White. So in terms of this, this can, you know, be someone who's maybe able-bodied or someone who you think is a really great advocate. And I know you've mentioned that the organization that's in the endometriosis organization, and we'll link to anyone you'd like to share as well. Um, yes, I would love to who... shout out to all the artists, specifically all the artists who work so, so hard and they come from all, all backgrounds I'm in the Salem community, all of it. I would love to give them all a shout out. I have them all written down. Go for it. Okay. All right. So um, 
I want, these are, they're all on Instagram and they're all fantastic and kind and their hearts are more amazing than their artwork, which you Aww. would not believe because their artwork is amazing. Like, yeah, I'm shocked. The description as well. So oh my gosh. They are so beautiful. Go check them out. They are so kind and they're doing great things for the community. Um, so I want to thank Rana. She's uh, an artist that does uh, invisible and chronic illness. Uh, her Instagram is Rana 2.0. Uh, the Center for Endometriosis Care. Uh, so their Instagram is Center for Endo Care. Jessica Williams, uh, she, her handle is My Fiber and Need Journey. Uh, like I said, Instagram artist, Colorblind Zebra, who did my cover art that I was allowed to use. She is amazing. Um, sorry, they are amazing. Um, Kate Stanforth, she's Kate Stan, uh, she's Kate Stanforth on her Instagram. She is a disabled advocate. Um, and Jenny McGibbon, her handle is this thing we call recovery. They have all given me permission to use their artwork and their quotes, and I could not be more grateful. And I'm sorry I probably butchered all their names. I can't speak. I'm very good at it. <laughs> so I put them in the episode description. Yes, so I apologize if I've misgendered anyone or I just butchered well, their names. Well, if you send me those links, we'll get everything. Yes, I totally will. We'll they need, they need well. the proper credit because they're amazing. <laughs> And we should always be paying artists properly. That, um, one more time for the people in the back. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then also pop culture references, because one of my things is if there is visibility generally, and pop culture is an amazing way of telling stories about people and showcasing them, is there anything that in pop culture speaks to you or speaks to a really good example of representing disability or even a bad example that we should all avoid? And, you know, take notice of? Well, the thing with that, I was thinking about that question you guys sent it to me, is that it shouldn't, you shouldn't go out and be like, we need someone who's disabled. Like, you shouldn't go out and do that. My, my thought is with that, like, it should just be a normal thing. You should have cool. people with classic bags, you should have people with tennis machines, you should have people who are having a flare-up. Uh, in my community, we have endo belly, which is where you look six months pregnant constantly. Hence why I only wear tea dresses. It covers it up very well. <laughs> but I feel like in pop culture, it's kind of like how more and more campaigns now are including more, you know, plus-size models, you know, XXXL. They're covering all parts of the spectrum. They're not editing scars or anything like that. Like, I know we were talking about Rihanna earlier. She does a great lot. She does a great job of that with her um, Savage Fenty line, with her lingerie. Um, it's also nice. super comfortable. Just, just saying. It's <laughs> <laughs> first time I've been able to buy a bralette since I'm plus size. Um, but I feel like with all these pop culture things, or anything like that, if you just make it normal, because for so many people, it is normal. It's just, it's just life. Um, it's something that a lot of people don't want, though. Let's, let's face it. Um, I mean, no one said that chronic pain, chronic illness, or having disability was easy. A lot of people don't want it. Some people do because it's part of their identity. But it's just, it should just be a normal thing. So when it comes to pop culture, don't be like, this needs to be, we need to be specifically a person in a wheelchair, specifically a person with a bag, specifically a person with a disability. Find the best person. And if they happen to have a disability, cool. But like we talked about earlier, it's the person and then their disability. It is a part of them, but it's not the sum of their whole. I think for me, because I watch so much television, possibly too much, um, <laughs> you have yeah, to- I I, See, I'm so bad, I don't watch much telly. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, 
Well, yeah, because there's, I think you have things with big ensemble casts and the bigger the ensemble cast is, the more I find it's really lazy when you're like, okay, there is no possible way you could walk through London and never see a person of colour. There is no way that in mm -hmm. all of their experiences, they never come across a person who's deaf, who's disabled, who's in a wheelchair, who experienced it. So it really it enlightened me. And again, I've used this phrase before, the bar is so low, it's in hell. But I always like to give props to shows that have actually made the effort to display something or show something. And again, in a really normalized way, um, I think it's really good. Um, if we had a yeah, whole segment for me just to talk about how bad medical shows are, I could just go on and on and on. <laughs> yeah, because there's something in your dissertation actually about the fact that, you know, disabled people are just really happy when a doctor believes them. And yeah. that's something that made me, again, kind of like, well, if you're worried that a doctor's going to believe you, how are you going to deal about being out in the world? With when I first talked like, to a doctor about, yeah, when I first talked to him about my stuff, he, and said, you know, due to disability, I can't have children or anything like that. And I said, I don't want to get everything removed or anything like that. He said to me, and I quote, why would you take this precious gift walk over to the Mackinac Bridge and throw it off when you could take it, put it in a box and lock it in the shelf till you actually are ready to decide. My doctor said that to me. Yeah. And I said to him, like, well, also I'm a guardian because everything happens to my family. I'm my youngest brother's guardian. He's like, aren't we a guardian to everyone? I'm like, yeah, but me legally. <laughs> if I had a nickel for every single time a doctor did not believe me or said I was overreacting, Goodbye, the hospital. <laughs> yeah. Get all the care oh, I wanted. Yeah, no studies show that specifically women's pain is like very underrated by doctors. And then if you add being a woman of color on top of that, then you're even. Oh my gosh, it's like it shoots up. Yeah. I mean, I have told this story before. I don't think I've ever told it on the podcast, but one of the reasons I have a sister who is 17 years younger than me is because my doctor didn't believe my mom when she said she'd been she was pregnant. So this is a woman no. who been pregnant twice before and they wouldn't do the test because they were like, you're going through the menopause. And it's just absolutely oh ridiculous. And so the person she was going through the menopause and not pregnant with is now 23. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh, we're the same age! <laughs> so, oh, you're like my little sister. Um, but, yeah. but yeah. Well, I think... A thing we say in the disabled community is if a doctor, you know, dismisses your symptoms, say, okay, can you please write down that you have dismissed these symptoms for refuse to do the test and wait why they do it? Because then they'll come back and they'll run the test. So that's a little, that's little trick we have. That is amazing. It works. Good. It works. Yeah. Because if they put it on there and something happens to you, that's a liability. Hi, every, hi everyone, just wanted to say thank you for listening and give you an update on what we've got going on over here at Well Spoken Tokens and Intersectional Glam. So first off, the Intersectional Glam Conference has been moved to August 2021. Tickets are available on Eventbrite and the link will be in the show description. I've also created three training sessions so far. These are available on intersectionalglam.org. We have online training for unconscious and implicit bias training for GLAM professionals. We have diversity, inclusion and intersectionality training for GLAM professionals and also trans awareness training for GLAM professionals. Coming out in August we, 2020, we will also have anti-racism training. 
uh, which will all be available on the website intersectionalglam.org. We have also created a tip jar. Uh, We want to make this podcast as elegant and beautiful and well-rounded as possible. So if you have any spare coinage, please send it our way and we can make sure to make this podcast the best that we possibly can. Thank you so much. All links will be available in the show description. Enjoy the rest of the show. Cool. So, Gabriel, we were just talking about your Mighty Whites and also your pop culture references. Um, I mean, it's not just about TV. It could be about music or anyone. Um, I have one. Jazz. Yay. Go for it. Um, What do we have? I don't know if I've, if I've said it before, but I watched the special on Netflix. And I think we didn't that. talk about it. And I absolutely loved it. It's a comedy show about this um, guy who has a disability, but it's just about him going through life. Um, like a nor- like yeah, every person? Like dating <laughs> so and making friends and like being awkward, but his personality is just awkward because <laughs> of his disability. <laughs> And at one point, like, um, he gets hit by a car, like, very, like, not a, in a bad way. And um, I, he got hit by a car, but not in a bad way. Yeah, it was, like, not going very fast. It was, like... But they didn't know what he'd already broken? He was already... <laughs> he got <fine>. love tapped. <laughs> and, yeah, like, love tapped by a car. Anyway, and then, so he goes to... Uh, he goes to work this new job that he's got um, and people are asking like what's wrong with him and being like dead rude and then he doesn't say anything and then the next day someone finds out that he was like hit by a car and they in their head it was like that's why his so he plays up the fact that he got hit by a car and that's why he's got this like that's just the way I am yeah um, and then he, yeah, it's just all about him. Um, it was like, yeah, just living his life and being awkward and, you know, the same awkwardness that everyone kind of goes through, but with the additional layer of, like, things about his disability that he's, like, kind of... I feel like people with disabilities, we should get, like, a pass. Like, I always tell my friends, I'm like, I once had a nine-day flare-up and I had the stomach bug for nine days. It was oh. horrible. Yeah. I think... That it should be illegal for disabled people to get normal people sick because yeah. <laughs> I'm like I already had to deal with it and now I get normal people sick oh god it's like when like it's like when my anxiety is so bad that I get the shits and I'm just like this is right that's not fair ridiculously like just in terms of evolution this is stupid right and inconvenient <laughs> it makes me so angry and yeah. then I, then I get <sighs> The, this is TMI, but I don't even care, listeners. Then I get piles, girlfriend, go. And then oh, I'm like, the okay. So, and this always happens when like some horrible racist or bigoted shit happens to me. So, like, that'll happen. And then I'll get anxious and, and upset about it. And then I'll get like the shits and I anxiety. Feel that. And then I'll get piles. And then I'll disassociate for a while because I'm trying like not to be. Right? If you have a disability, you should not be allowed. It should be illegal to have normal, like, nor- quote, normal people happen to you oh, no. because that's not fair. That's like a trauma hurricane. Literally. I fully I started just telling people okay. you need a trauma hurricane badge. Yeah. Yes. But I've, I've started telling people very honestly, like, I'll meet yeah. other people and they'll go, how are you today? I'll be like, 
either shits because I'm really anxious or like I'll be like, oh, I got piles because I was so stressed out the other day. And, and we love you and we will accommodate that in our yes. lives. But the what best, do you need? The best thing is other people go, oh yeah, that happened to me last week. And like people start talking about it. Right? It's, it's something really it's normal. That's how people it's supposed to be. talk about how it's okay to talk about mental health and then no one actually talks about like exactly. mental health and the implications and like actually having to do anything and i also rang my friend yesterday this is fully insane i rang my friend yesterday because she didn't answer a text i was supposed to be meeting up with her she didn't answer a test a text and she was 10 minutes late so in my head i was like oh my god she lives alone she's died something's happened she's dead I was oh my gosh i do that all the time and so i rang her and i went i thought you might have died so i had to call you and she like you good you like she was like i'm just around the corner it's okay you see, I, after watching Dreams of a Life, me and this friend who's like this long-term friend who has very few spoons sometimes, um, we, we basically are. had a chain because we were both women who lived alone um, so that like every so often we just check and go, it's been a couple of days, I haven't heard from you, just remind me you're still alive because Dreams of a Life is a film about a woman who for three years her body wasn't discovered because she had an asthma attack and died in her flat. Um, so what what That's why that I can't film? live alone. Yeah. It I can't. And so <laughs> I have a, a dreams of a life check-in buddy to make sure I'm not dead. I have that too. I, I have um went so obviously when I since I live overseas a lot and my partner's here and we do the long distance thing, he has a rule with me. He's like, Can you just send me a text every day that you're you're good? He's like, I don't want to be controlling, but like, you know. Yeah. Sometimes you have a flare up, you don't want to talk. That's fine. But like just like emoji. Like like you're alive I'm like, all right. but i do that too when so when my friends like leave my place or they drive somewhere else i'm like you text me right when you get home right when you get home hey, nope so i yeah. one of my girlfriends she it was like an hour after she got home she texted me i'm like i thought you were dead <laughs> i almost called the police <laughs> And I've got a guy friend, and I think because guy friends really don't understand why you would do this, but like what? during lockdown, like I'm kind of like, I'm checking on you because I know you get depressed, and like I don't want you to kind of go down the whole male suicide route because you're so depressed and you have not had anyone to talk to. So I will literally check in with them because it's like, you know. This is our duty to our society that you know this is a really yes. insane time everyone's anxiety you can't you can't just love one part of the community you have to love everyone right now well you should love everyone in general yeah wear your mask wear your mask um when appropriate, unless you are not able to wear a mask and then that unless is okay you are not able and that is fine and don't but assume because someone's not wearing a mask but if they are in your face and they have not identified that they can't wear one then they need to See, you can tell the people who choose not to wear a mask because it's, you know, affecting their civil liberties, blah, 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 whatever. And the people who are actually disabled because they are very, like, they go in quick. They come Because as a member of the community, you're like, I am just trying to live my life. You can tell the Karens from the real people. So, at least, at least there's that. <laughs> That's good, at least. <laughs> so, any more questions? Um, because I didn't do my um, I had quite a lot of shout outs today. Like, <gasps> shout outs, shout outs. <laughs> um, so oh, who did I have? So on my list, I was gonna shout out Colin. Uh, so Colin, um, 
basically if you work in culture in manchester you know who colin is he is um he is a wheelchair user and basically i believe kind of personally responsible for making access in terms of wheelchair access just more of an issue with um a lot of cultural organizations because he volunteers at so many of them they can't not factor it in well that um, is one way to use your power that is oh, yeah. amazing so i love I, colin yeah we love colin i've because i work with a lot of volunteer managers across manchester and i've also managed in three different organizations and he volunteers at one place that i hang out a lot home as we've mentioned um previous time home is great home is fabulous um, that's where your house and... shoes are <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're talking about capital h home you'll have to come when all of this yeah, is over this you'll have to come. yes please i'll bring that also the fun. place that accommodated my friend when i had my 40th birthday and like they were like yeah we can find a space for her to kind of when she's out of spoons um so he volunteers there um i also was volunteer manager um for uh manchester international festival and he volunteers there and when you get into conversations with other volunteer managers it's like oh yeah we'll just run it by colin because <laughs> colin, <laughs> colin is so helpful and open and really great and he colin like, if you're listening to this can we be friends heritage sectors game and i just love him for that um Gaz, so oh my god so uh ngozi uguchukwu is uh, a wheelchair bound artist well she's everything she's also like a strictly come dancing dancer um she's just the most phenomenal human being and she did this amazing exhibition um called the stairs project and it was basically her just talking about stairs like looking at stairs and photographing them and they're so that's beautiful. amazing so um yeah i think it's just you know people who are helping us to understand access better and understand that we need to be thinking about these things so they were kind of a couple of people i wanted to shout out and then there was also um i was thinking about pop culture and i was thinking about when i was younger and how it was really rare for me to see it and one of my like formational shows just generally is a show called press gang and they had a character billy and billy was a film nerd which shockingly i can relate to a teeny teeny bit um and basically he <laughs> sent them a computer so that he could work on in their organization because they set up remote working for like this accessible like guy to do film reviews for them um but his dad had to help with it but it was like oh my god i'm I'm re-watching it and I'm thinking, if they could do in the 90s a children's TV show and they're like, okay, these, these guys just made a reasonable adjustment and now they have a really diverse workforce, there is no reason we can't do it now. <laughs> so, watch Press Gang. Press Gang. If the if, 90s can do it. If the 90s can do it, we can do it. Um, and then the... <laughs> I was just like, these are just really, really great great things to look at. We should at. get shirts to say if the 90s can do it. Yeah. I'm to make sure it's, I have if a, I have a screen it. printing kit. I'm going to do it. You have everything. Do it. I went to art school. <laughs> I needed to have everything. And you've still got a job having been to art school. That is so special. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's not talk about that. Um, but yeah. Let's not so... talk about any of it. <laughs> um i i mean i think i've had a bit of a ramble um 
But Nonsense, mainly, your voice I just is want to thank you so much for coming. Stop, thank you so with. much for having me. And, uh, and you know, we'll, I can't, what, where are you my time change? Where, where are you on social media? Tell us about uh, I am on, you. I am on Twitter, I am on Instagram, and I am on Facebook. My Twitter handle is madam underscore sec, S-E-C-K, and my Twitter handle is Gabriel R underscore sec. Fantastic. Oh, amazing. And I post lots of pictures of my dog, of my parents' dogs. <laughs> yes! So, and then on Twitter, it's just a rambling of like ableists and white supremacists and how all the statues that are coming down, we should just leave all the horses. We should just all the good boys. Because <laughs> they did nothing wrong. I was looking at a statue going, it would be really hard to chisel that man off the horse. So I think we should as well. Poor horsey. wonder how it would be done. The poor, the poor horse. This dancer's just really crap. dogs. Can't we just have statues of people's yes. dogs? I new thing. <laughs> just, just dogs. Stop. Just dogs. <laughs> this is great. We should run the world. It would be so much happier. I genuinely think it would probably work out better if we did. Right? But how like, what's that? Everyone has a living wage. Everyone is a, everyone can be accessible. Everyone gets bread unless you're gluten intolerant. That I can make gluten free bread, and everything's gonna be great. <laughs> it's so gonna be toilets good. for everyone. I'm very yes. big on toilets at the moment. Yes, everyone can yeah. go to the bathroom. It's just it's just cubicles or urinals. No one gives a crap it's what fine. you have in your pants. You just have to deal with it. It's fine. Um, it's so good. This is a big thing I'm on at the moment. Bigots get immediately fired. I would enjoy that actually happening. <laughs> it, I, I am loving all of the racists and bigots and ableists who are getting fired right now because I'm like, it should have happened a long time ago. Where are these people? Yeah. They don't seem to be in, in my immediate life. Yeah, I feel that completely. <laughs> I clearly have some issues but, I need to deal with. But no, you don't. They have issues. <laughs> yeah. They have issues. You have no issues. But it's just, it's, everything's fine. And again, looking at, it's the same thing as like, if you look in a museum and something's accessible, but not for you, but you can appreciate it. That's what I'm at right now. I'm like, I can appreciate that. Oh, that's good. That's all you got to think about. I'm just always a raging mess. So you're a nice little balance to balance this out. You are not a mess. When, I, when my friends tell me that they're a mess, I always say, think of Froyo. So when you get Froyo, it may look a little messy because you put it in Froyo, then you put it on all your toppings, and you're eating, like, it looks a little weird. Like, no, it's amazing, and it's delicious, and it's fantastic. <laughs> so think of yourself like Froyo. It's oh, also low. Really? It's also when low. I, mess, I never think of it as a bad thing. Even better. <laughs> I'm just like, that's, I'm just a, a huge jumble of loads of different things. So, like, gummy bears and sprinkles. <laughs> And cookie crisp, <laughs> you you're to fine. The, to the cinema and you've got all those like sweets and you get a bag and you like fill up the bag of sweets. That's kind of messy. Then, that, then it's like a million, so it's, like, it's like 20 like, pounds. Pick a mix, yeah, pick a mix. We are yes! Pick a mix. <laughs> so good. See, that's how I feel like how like my, my life is sometimes. Like, you know, like all the good stuff at the bottom. It's like, all right, I gotta shake the bag. <laughs> all the good stuff, but I don't want to deal with everything right now. <laughs> <laughs> when you get Chex Mix and you just eat the M&M's. Be the M&M in your, in your life of Chex Mix. <laughs> oh, anyway. We've got a lot of 
we've got a lot of analogy we've got a lot of metaphors we've got so many shirts mix, mix yes. metaphors shirts yes. badges I the love it. range is coming soon oh um, my gosh yes you joke but i'll do it <laughs> everyone listening to this friendship blossom